Welcome everybody back to another fun edition of the Rolex Whiskey Passion Project. Been loving my data, seeing a lot of you listening. Thank you for rating the episodes and we're just going to keep having fun. I love talking to people who love whiskey. And today I have a guest that you may or may not follow on social, but you will after this. David Tao, welcome, sir. How are you? I'm doing great today, Gavin. Thanks for having me. And I love talking about whiskey, so we're in a good place. I love it. Dave, you want to introduce yourself to the audience? Give them a quick rundown of, you know, who you are, what you do. <laughs> Man, I'll try and keep it short. Elevator pitch yourself, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, my name is David Thomas Tao. I was born and raised in Kentucky. I'm actually originally from Bardstown, if you're a fan of American whiskey. I live in Brooklyn, New York now, and I wear a few different hats. I was a journalist by training as a first career, then kind of moved into content consulting, founded a couple startups. Some of those went really well. Some of them went not so well. <laughs> <laughs> the one the one that went best is called Barbend, B-A-R-B-E-N-D. And even though it has bar in the name, has nothing to do with alcohol. It was actually the world's largest independent fitness content company. And we sold that in April, 2023. So pretty awesome outcome kind of made my dreams come true, so to speak. But other things I do, I'm a whiskey reviewer. I write a lot for places like Vine Pair and Drink Hacker. And then I'm a producer as well. I produce movies, TV, might be getting into some stage production again, which is something I did years and years ago. So if you're looking for something to do Christmas Day this year, I'm not sure when this episode's coming out, check out Ferrari, the newest movie from Michael Mann, starring Adam Driver, Penelope Cruz. I executive produced that. Would highly recommend checking it out. I'm biased though, so... Yeah, I saw that, dude. That was so cool. Thanks, man. You know, I I mean, you came to me through your journalist hat. So I was kind of like, wait, I I had no idea that like, as I've been like, I'm like, dude, this guy's done it. He's he's having a fun life. His movie is good. But uh, if you're someone who likes any of the above, Cars, Adam Driver, Italy, historical pieces, intrigue, racing, Penelope Cruz, Shalane Woodley, like, check it out. It's also got Patrick Dempsey, the reigning sexiest man alive. Which was kind of fun. But yeah, I'm loving doing more work in the entertainment space. I have a few things cooking on the back burner I can't talk about. But I really love it because I think storytelling is such a crucial part of spirits and the spirits industry, whiskey yep. especially. And I see so many, so much carryover between people who are passionate about entertainment and storytelling there. And then being able to connect through a conduit like whiskey. Because I love whiskey, but for me, what's in the bottle is secondary to the people I meet through it always has been so yeah i just I, I just love storytelling whether it's booze or whether it's on screen all right well let's start a story tell me your first encounter with whiskey in your life what that looked like so i grew up in bardstown so i don't want to get in too much yeah. trouble because it definitely happened before i was 21 let's put it no yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, you know because you kind of grew up in you know the old school hood of american whiskey I mean, what was the offerings? Take your story. Gosh. For sure. I was really the experience. I was super curious. I was super curious about this and trying to figure out when's the first time I went, I visited a distillery, right? Like what's the first year that we have record of? Because it might have been before that, right? Yeah. But I found a bottle of Maker's Mark from 1996 that my mother dipped at the distillery. And that was back before tours were what they were today. You talk about oh, yeah. to Maker's Mark. Someone would basically stop dipping bottles and take you around like they rotated. And at the end, if you were over 21, they did not check IDs, by the way, at all. Yeah. You know, I was a little kid. You could dip bottles. But I remember distinctly to do that, 
they had to heat up a single wax canister in the back room of the house down there, the old Samuel's house. Like there wasn't a visitor center. And I remember as a little kid, the excruciating wait as we waited for like 45 minutes, felt like, it felt like 45 days as like a little kid for this wax heat up so my mom could dip this bottle. I thought it was the stupidest thing in the world. And you look at your mom like, can we get out of here? Can we get out of here? Like I'm bored. You know, I'm a little kid. But I Okay, remember- so you see that. Like so yeah. when, what is like the whatever age doesn't matter. You know, it, this is not. But what was like, hey, I want to try something because you had stuff around. Oh, well- well, what I remember actually, even before I tried a pour of whiskey, and you know, we, I was we were drinking like you'd get little pours of at holidays. We'd go over to a neighbor's house where we'd host people, and as a little kid, they'd let you try a little bit of bourbon, right? People would bring, and I grew up just a couple blocks, not even a couple blocks, actually less than a couple blocks from the No, no family. So Fred, Freddie, Booker, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember that. I remember, I remember Booker, this larger in life man, larger than life man in so many ways, and my actual first encounter with trying whiskey was. At Maker's Mark, as a little kid, they could lift you up to the open air wood fermenters and you'd stick your grubby little paws in there and you could try some of that fermenting mash, right? And I remember everyone told me it was disgusting. They're like, you're going to hate this, but you could try it, kid. And it's kind of supposed to scare little kids off alcohol or it was back then. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. I was like, you know, it's the worst beer you've ever had. It's gritty. But I was like, this tastes like liquid cornbread. It's like dirty porridge. Yeah, I was like, this is actually not, this is actually kind of good. And the smell of the mash and everything, and it really kind of got in my system. And it's such a formative memory. And when I go to distilleries these days, because scent is so tied to memory, if I smell fermenting mash, it takes me back to being a little kid and having someone lift me up so I could stick my my hand down in that mash out at Maker's Mark. And I was back at Maker's Mark a couple of weeks ago and talking to to Rob Samuels and, and some of the team members out there, and it took me right back. Right. I felt like I was, I felt like you took me back. I'm almost 30 years as soon as I smelled it because those same fermenters are there. The same stills are there. Man, it took me way back. So that's really my first introduction. And then, you know, as you get older, you start to build awareness. My first paying job, I actually worked sanitation at the Kentucky Bourbon Festival in Bardstown. Those smells were a little less good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you had a, but from that early fermenter, you kind of were, I mean, I guess you're growing up there. What else do you know? You know, oh, yeah. like it's whiskey. Like, so, but you, you, there's a moment that I've noticed before when you drink whiskey mm-hmm. for yeah. an effect, whatever yeah. that is, good, bad, evil, whatever that is for you. And then there's a moment when you drink whiskey and you're like, that's a really interesting flavor profile and I want to explore more. So I know the exact moment of that. I remember I was, you know, and so I went off to, I went to boarding school in Tennessee. I went off to college in Boston and I was still drinking whiskey, but man, I played college rugby. I was drinking whatever I could. You know what I mean? And I, remember, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was probably 22 years old. I had moved to New York. I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. This was before the bourbon boom. No one knew what the hell Bardstown, Kentucky was or where it was. No one cared. You know, this is when you could still find bottles of Pappy on the shelf for 60 bucks and no one would pay it. Right. Yeah. And I remember going to a bar with my friend and we both ordered old fashions, right? I was, I was probably 22, 23 and he ordered an old fashioned and I ordered an old fashioned, but I specified I wanted it with Knob Creek. Mm -hmm. And I remember, and he asked, he was like, Oh, why'd you do that? I was like, you know, you know, Knob Creek, I know the brand. I actually grew up with, you know, the, the family that is kind of behind the brand, right, you know, right down the street. And I remember we, he asked if he could taste mine. And he was like, 
this is so much better. I don't know what well whiskey they'd use in his old fashioned, right? At the bar. <laughs> and then I remember we tasted them side by side. And I was like, wait a minute. You know, I just kind of did this by reflex. I was like, oh, can you make mine with Knob Creek? Right. And I remember from that moment tasting side by side, I was like, oh, the, the whiskey makes a difference. This Knob Creek old fashioned is better than whatever the hell, you know, well whiskey or blended whiskey or whatever they had made that his old fashioned with. And from there, I felt like I was kind of starting to get back into, into American whiskey specifically and started going to whiskey bars, started getting into cocktail culture as well. And, and that's really the kind of the inflection point for me where I felt like I felt like whiskey was welcoming me back into the fold. It was like coming home since I'd grown up around it. And I would imagine you get to reflect because it was different now. It wasn't booming, but the cocktail scene was. So when you go, if you go back to Bardstown, you were starting to see things changing. Oh man, it, everything, everything started changing. And I think I really started noticing that around for me. I think I was a little late to the game. I started noticing that around 2015. I think other people started noticing that around like 2010 or 11. But for me, and I didn't, I didn't, the first time I got out there was 2016 and I'd never been there. So for me, Barstow really wasn't even anything yet. I mean, I went out there on that trip and went to like the opening of Bardstown Bourbon Company, which could have been a year later. I went through the year before as well. But I mean, I remember like, I'm like, you just drove 45 minutes to like a one trick pony area. <laughs> you know, like there's not even a hotel we could spend the night. We're going to go back. And then, you know, there's no Ubers out there. So you got to use like the three taxis that work there. <laughs> and you know what? That's still, I will say, seven years, almost eight years later, it's still actually a big issue in Bardstown. Bardstown is a very easy town to visit and to not stay in. I wrote an article for Vine Pair where I interviewed so many people. Bardstown, I mean, like, I, I put my heart and soul into this. It's it's titled Bardstown's Fight to Remain the Bourbon Capital. Uh -huh. And I put everything I had into that article, right? And and I, I was really happy. So I, a lot of people read it. And I, I think it made an impact. And it, it described how Bardstown is still playing catch up to the bourbon boom, right? Why are hotels few and far between in Bardstown, right? Why is Bardstown having trouble adapting infrastructurally to this bourbon boom? It's catching up. A lot of progress has been made, right? Yes. But what are those challenges? Because this sleepy little town, man, it was a one-trick pony when I was growing up. Like Bardstown was like, a, you know, it was just this tiny little oh. town no one had ever heard of. I was with someone... The other day, who's, who went there for the first time 30 years ago to try and find KBD. Oh, good luck. <laughs> 30 years so, ago. So that was the thing. So he's like, 30 years ago, you've got like a brick cell phone and you're like, literally don't even know. And you go around and he said, I went to like a, a gas station and eventually I was like, yo, do you know where it is? Like, I feel like we're in the right area, but like, we don't, we can't find this place. And she told him. And then when he got to KB KBD, Evan said to him, he's like, yeah, don't ever go back to that place again. Like some guy got shot there last week. <laughs> I, I shouldn't laugh, but it was like you had very few options. Like two, here, here was a, and I actually talked about this a little bit in the article I wrote for Vine Pair back in the 90s, not let alone the 80s. Let's call it the 90s, called the late 90s. Yeah. Here, here were your options if you wanted to visit a distillery. You could drive 20 minutes out or even longer to Loretto and see Maker's Mark, right? Yep. And they did not have what they have today as far as a visitor center. <laughs> there was no lunch? There was, you actually could get a sandwich. I think you actually could get a sandwich. Oh, okay. I would make you one if you wanted. It was like, a, they had a very small menu. You could go to Heaven Hill 
But, mm-hmm. but after the fire, they weren't actively distilling there. So they had this like, you could see like them rolling barrels basically into the warehouses. Cause you know, after the fire in 96, they were distilling there. They, they a few years later bought Bernheim. Right. So yep. like, you couldn't see that. There wasn't really much to do. There's not much to do at KB. I don't, I don't even remember what the, no, it was more like, a, it was more like a, a hangout for people who were looking to sell whiskey because yeah. nobody wanted it. Yeah. And then, you know, Bart, <laughs> it was like the negotiation center. There wasn't really a tour. There wasn't really a tour at Barton at the time. Beam, you could kind of go to Beam, but really, what you most people who went to Beam who didn't work there, they went there to use the post office because it was faster to use the post office in Claremont than it was in Bardstown. This literally one room post office still there, still there. So that was it. Those were your options, right? So you couldn't even yeah. really do a full tour. And for you, what like when when you finally do a full tour, what are you drinking? Back then? Yeah. Like when you actually like go do something, what were you drinking? Just the yeah. basics? Yeah. I mean they I think, you know, if you went out to Maker's Mark, you could sample the white dog and then you could sample regular Maker's Mark. Right? That was it. Right? Because Maker's Mark, they weren't pulling cast strength. There was none of this, you know, private reserve. They didn't have the forty six. No. No, like it was, I, it was so bare bones. There was not wh- whiskey tourism wasn't a thing. I didn't hear that term until I was a full grown adult. I will say, I do want to give some credit. Bart sounds very near and dear to my heart. I love the yeah. town. Great people. It was a great place to grow up. And I still think it is a great place to grow up, right? There's a lot of charm and a lot of loveliness in Bardstown. And I have just so much love for that community. I say it was this kind of, you know, one trick pony. There wasn't much to do because relative to the whiskey industry, there was nothing like there was today. And that's what I really want to illustrate. No, no. I mean, now it's like, you know, I had, I was talking to someone, I'm like, and the, the comment I made is like, now it's like Las Vegas, but like for you guys growing up, it was like just the desert <laughs> before the first casino went up and now you're like, hey, hey. And look at this. It's, everything's there. This is crazy. We should recast The Godfather Part 2, but with Bardstown. Like, put it, set it in set it in Bardstown. Like, who's going to be Mo Green? You know what I mean? Who's going to be Michael Corleone? Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the thing was, you know, you mentioned two names there. There probably were only, like, four names that could possibly be. Because it wasn't like, you know, like, I was talking to Bill Beam Sr. And he, you know, obviously, you know, Booker family. And he's like... Yeah, dude, like, it was, it was no, nothing. You came over, you drank some bourbon, you ate some good food, you went to bed. Maybe you went to see a movie. It's, it, I mean, and that's the thing. There's no movie theater in Bartstown anymore. There's not. The movie theater went out of business a few years ago. So there's not a movie theater. <laughs> he, he said that, that was your entertainment. He's like, yeah. you know, he's like, and then in the summer, you would, like, just do, like, picnics and, like, barbecue hangouts. It was it was an outdoors. Like, but, like, whiskey was, it was whiskey. Like, they, it was made an it. they brought it home. Yeah, you went camping. Would. I was in the Boy Scouts. I was in the Boy Scouts and 4-H yeah. because I wanted something to do. That was what that was what you did. You know what I mean? You did outdoor. I was on a shooting sports team. I was in the Boy Scouts. I got. I think I had nearly a hundred merit badges because I just was always looking for things to do. <laughs> oh my god! All right, let's get let's get back on track on, on whiskey here. Let's do it. All right, so so now you've got a taste. You're doing the old fashioned. You're 22, 23. You're in New York. What's the next step of the brain of David where he's like, hey, I want to know more about whiskey. You like, know, what's that catalyst? For me, people started asking me about it. 
So years later, you know, around 2014, 15, 16, people started asking me about Bardstown because people were going on bachelor parties, bachelorette parties. They were starting to do the bourbon trail and, and they were they were asking about it. And I realized, and I was heavily into cocktail culture at the time, right? Yeah. So I was hitting up like New York's cocktail bars and some of the you know, hot cocktail bars, probably three or like sometimes three or four nights a week. You know what I mean? That was really, that was kind of my scene and what I was really into at the time. It was whiskey adjacent, but I wasn't reviewing whiskey. Right. I wasn't consulting for you know, investment groups and brands and things like I do now. I wasn't judging spirits panels, but I was just really yeah. into that scene. And I was really starting to build a social group in that scene, but it was whiskey adjacent. And people started asking me questions. People started asking me, well, what should I do in Barstow? Which distillery should I go to? Which whiskey should I be drinking? And by this point, there were all these new brands, right? Like I remember, you know, hearing, about Michter's for the first time again, because I'd heard it. I'd heard the name. The name was familiar to me as a kid, but it was a defunct brand, right? Yeah, it was. It was, it was Pen- not Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, right? And there's interesting yeah. history. There's really interesting history about the folks from Pennsylvania migrating to Kentucky and basically bringing whiskey with them, right? Bringing their yeah. style of whiskey with them. We won't get too much of that history. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute, Michter's? Michter's is a thing now. I remember someone asked me about Whistle Pig, and I was like. Right. And obviously this is, you know, whistle pig, Canadian, Canadian whiskey. Yeah. Right? That's really yeah. good. Yeah. Um, a lot of it, you know, sourced from Alberta at the time, which, which I love, love, love the stuff coming out of Alberta distilling partners. But I remember them asking about, you know, rye whiskey. And I was like, rye whiskey, no one drinks rye whiskey, right? Rye whiskey is like the, you know, bottom shelf in a bar because growing up, no one was running rye or talking about it. You know, those were the days when I think wild Turkey was still running rye, like one day a year. <laughs> right like no one could move rye whiskey i mean i listen listen mcdonald's did a lot of things but i definitely fucking think they put they put rye whiskey back on the map i, I think it was a few things i think they had a huge hand in it i think they did a lot for the american whiskey scene because because nobody had done like a 10-year rye because like you said it wasn't like why would you do that you know i was talking to david perkins about a year and a half ago founder of my west right yeah and he went to he went to barton and mgp and he bought all this old rye Right. One of my favorite pours, one of my favorite rise of all time is low. High West 16 year Rocky Mountain Rye. It's a blend of 16 and like 18 year LDI or MGP, but it was LDI back then with with Bart. Right. It's like 16 year Barton and like 18 year LDI. I love it. It's a beautiful blend. Beautiful. High rye mash bill, low rye rye mash bill. Beautiful blend. And he said he would bottle this 16 year rye. And then he also went to Barton and he got the 21-year Rocky Mountain Rye, which is not a straight rye whiskey because it was in used cooperage. And he's like, he's like, David, man, I put this on shelves and I put a price tag on it, the 16-year rye, this 21-year rye. And you know what it did? It just sat. Can you imagine what would happen if a brand like that, if an NDP, not a selling producer, released a 16-year or a 21-year rye these days, Gavin? The secondary oh. would go nuts. Look at the Willets. Look at some of those ones. It, it didn't even move at retail. And this was in 2010, you know, 11, 12. And so I think Mictors has had a huge hand, but I do think brands like High West did a lot yep. to, bring, to put Rye back on the map. I think Whistlepig, even though they were sourcing primarily from Canada, although they, do, they did source some from MGP, right? I have some old Whistlepig single barrel picks that are MGP sourced. Well, you know, I think Whistlepig, I think Whistlepig put their money into marketing mm-hmm. and did a lot of cocktails. And it worked out very well for them. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, it, they, you would go to steakhouses and the old fashioned would be like whistle pig. Oh, yeah. Whistle pig. It was whistle branded. Pig. It was the whistle, whistle pig old fashioned. Like, it was yeah. like, there was really, and if you wanted scotch, it was McAllen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, these are your two choices. And they're like, that costs a lot of money. <laughs> they, I think that rye, you know, rye is such an interesting category. And I think that there are so many. And really, it was like your options. There were so few people running it, right? You know, MGP was producing basically all of it for a while. Barton had some, you know, Wild Turkey off and on was producing a little bit. Heaven Hill had a little bit. KBT yeah. and then Willa had sourced a bunch. You know, yeah. it was just this weird thing. And I just remember when someone asked me my thoughts on Whistle Pig, and I was like, rye whiskey, some, man, something's afoot. Something's happening here. Because if people are interested in rye whiskey, then then something's going on, right? Tides are. Changing. But you are. But this is this is now fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. So you right. are. Are you still cocktailing? Are you drinking? Yeah, I'm still. I'm are, still you, are you? Are you? Are you journaling? Are you doing any of? Are you writing yet? When does so that? Start? I was not writing anything on alcohol. I didn't write anything on alcohol until basically the pandemic. I, I love writing on everything under the sun. I just love writing. I love like the, the art, the craft of storytelling. Mad respect for writers. It does not come supernaturally to me. It's something I, I feel like I really have to. I don't feel like I have a particular talent for it, but it's something I, I enjoy the process and the work. But I wasn't writing on booze until basically the pandemic because I co founded Bar Bend, the media company, the fitness media company in 2016, early 2016. And that was my life. Everything I did in work was all in on that until the pandemic because we had to take that company from zero to one. You know, we were bootstrapped and then we raised a small round of funding. We were not able to raise any institutional capital. We got laughed out of the room by so many venture capitalists, right? Turns out we were kind of laughing at the end because our thesis was right, theirs was wrong. But hindsight's 2020. But man, I was so in on that, so immersed in that. And for me, cocktail culture was escapism from the grind of entrepreneurship. Sort of like for me, it's been food. I I never cocktailed because... To be honest, like my only memories of cocktails growing up was a Long Island iced tea. And I felt like shit afterwards. But when I drank my liquor clean, I felt great the next day. So like I got so turned off by whatever freaking, you know, potions and lotions they would throw into these things. that I was like, I don't feel so good. But gee, when I just drink it neat, I feel great the next day. I would call myself predictable. Mm. I'd be like, I know exactly what's going to happen with me when I do this. And that's why I personally never got into cocktails. But I was drinking stuff with ice and I didn't go neat until like 2015, 2016, because your cocktail was for me, it was like eating a fresh piece of sushi. I'm like, oh my God, like I can taste everything. (laughs) Like I got, I got the little bit of wasabi underneath. I got the rice is beautiful. The fish is great. And I would taste whiskey and be like, whoa, that's kind of (laughs) crazy. I want to learn more. I love that. I think for me too, it was probably, you know, I'm trying to think of the pour that kind of got me back into drinking neat. And honestly, it was probably Knob Creek 12. And again, this is not me shilling Knob Creek. I love Knob, I I do like Knob Creek, right? The nine is a good go-to. I like the 12. Didn't love the 15. I did like the 18, you know, but it's just a brand that kind of near and dear to my heart because I grew up around it. But I'll, so I'll give you an, I'll give you a quick Knob Creek story. I'm at freaking Disney World, and I'm having a nice dinner at like one of the hotels on the top floor, overlooking all the shit and the fireworks are about to happen. And they're like, "Hey, we did this private barrel pick of Knob Creek 18." Yeah, sure, I'll give it a try. 
I'm like, oh my God, this is delicious. Can I buy a bottle? They're like, what do you mean buy a bottle? Yeah, what are you talking about? I'm all, you did a whole barrel. I can't imagine, I got to imagine you got cases of it back there. Like they didn't just be like, hey, here's your barrel fake. Here's three bottles. And he's like, yeah, we got a lot. I'm like, can you speak to a manager? And sure as shit, they came back. They're like, hey, how's $148 sound for you for the bottle? I'm like, done deal. Put it on the dinner. For a, for a barrel yeah, pick 18 near Dob Creek, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, and, then, and I remember going back and it was like, we cracked it open at the hotel we were staying at and we drank half the bottle of night and it was high ABV, like high, like you could run a car in it. And I was just like, this is just so good and so clean and so beautiful, even at this high ABV. Because that's the thing I would geek out. I'm like, how do you take something at a, you know, buck 30s, buck 40s and like still make it not taste like you just burnt your whole insides out. I remember Knob Creek, you know, I, I forget which year Knob Creek 12 came out, but it was around that time. I don't know if that's actually what started it, but it was probably around the time that Knob Creek 12 came out that I really started getting back into the whiskey fold, right? And I just want to be clear, for me, it felt like coming home, mm-hmm. right? It didn't feel it's like- It's like I'm, your mash bill. It's like your mash bill when you go visit thing. It's like, it's that warm, familiar feeling because I bet- Better believe when 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 Noe's and them were hanging out at your house, nobody was like, "Hey, hey, Dave, you want old fashioned?" <laughs> They're like, "Hey, dude, here it is." <laughs> I also remember. Here's something I also remember. I remember seeing an old Fitz, you know, the the old Fitzgerald decanters. That that series started in 2018. I remember it's either right before the pandemic or during the pandemic. It's probably during the pandemic. I remember seeing one, and then I saw the price tag, and I was like, "What the hell?" Because for me, old Fitzgerald, <laughs> I remember old Fitzgerald Prime. If those okay. folks who don't know what Old Fitzgerald Prime is, Old Fitzgerald Prime <laughs> is a $16 bottle you can only get in Kentucky with a plastic screw top, and they still sell it. And it's 80-something proof. It might be 80 proof. Like It's not bottled in bond, right? But, it, you know, when people hear of Old... It, it, is not, it is not a premium whiskey in any way, right? And they still sell it. You can go to Justin's House of Bourbon and and buy old Fitz prime right or a lot of liquor stores in kentucky and i remember seeing this decanter i was like a couple hundred bucks for this what and i can only think to old Fitz prime you know and so that was another thing where it was like oh wait i should i i i got a lot to relearn right because these brands are new and they're different and so when covid happened cocktail bars shut down the two go cocktail stuff was not my jam be real no dude yeah it was over here in san diego that was selling it in, like in iv bags no and it literally looked like jungle juice it was <laughs> like no no it was, it, it was not my jam kudos to the mixologist trying to make it work but i was like this yeah. is not this is not hitting and that's when i was like you know what it's time to get back into american it's time to get back into uh, into whiskey not just american whiskey right because i quickly fell back into scotch irish whiskey even japanese whiskey right and when i when i had a lot of time on my hands during the pandemic and for me, that re-education and acquainting myself with how the whiskey scene had changed and really how the how whiskey had boomed in America, but also abroad, that was really something special to me. And so for me, you know, 2020, 2021 was like re-entering that scene, seeing all the, seeing what was new, a great reacquaintance, and it felt great. Give me an, an escalation, three or four whiskeys okay. that stood out during that period when you went like it had that oh shit great yeah okay because i so this is one that really sticks out to me because it was around the holidays in 2020 i had had midwinter night's dram before 
you know, from High West, the 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 the, fin- the port finish rye. But I remember it, like the first real cold night sipping. It was Act Four. It was Act Four, and I had had a bottle, and I was just like, you know what, I should kill this bottle. And I remember sitting out back when it was cold, and I remember sipping that. Wait a minute. I had never really stopped to appreciate this. I've gotten through most of this bottle, put some of it in cocktails too. And I had never really appreciated this, this bottle. So that was big for me. That was like, I was like, man, I wish I had a few more of these, you know, and act four is a great act for those who like midwinter night's dram. It's really, 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 really great stuff. So that I was up at, I was visiting friends in Sonoma and they were doing a barbecue and I'm like, well, take me to Whole Foods. The liquor stores were closed in the, that early in the day. And I bought a what prairie rye? What what do they have? Prairie they had their, their their prairie reserve. I, so I actually don't like that. That they're bourbon. They're I, I don't love. I'm not a huge fan for like historically of High West bourbon blends. I'm really only into certain rye expressions that they have historically. So the prairie was, reserve that was in, that was in a glass a glass case for eighty five dollars. <laughs> so. <laughs> I was like, hey, you know, I don't, I didn't bring any booze with me because we traveled by airplane. Like, I'll just grab a bottle. I don't, you know, that was my experience. All right, so high, so high with mid witness is your first one. What's your second one? Well, that, that's the first one that sticks out to me from the pandemic. Um, Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. I, oh. I forget which one. I think it was one of the 2019 releases. And I remember, you know, I was familiar with the brand, obviously, but I remember. That I was like a, it was like a reintroduction to the Heaven Hill profile for me, right? That really stuck out to me, and I'm a, I'm a huge. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge Elijah Craig Barrel Proof fan, so that sticks out to me. You know, George Dickel bottled and bought. I think it was the 2000. Oh. You know, one one of the one of those that really started kind of making waves and winning some awards. And I remember thinking like. George Dickel, Tennessee whiskey. I'm not going to like this. You know, I, I remember like, no, I'm not going to like this. I'm not a Tennessee whiskey guy. And I remember really digging it. I know George Dickel can be polarizing among some whiskey community in some whiskey communities, but I remember really, really, really digging it. And then I think I'm trying to think of, of, you know, if there's another, if there's another one that like truly, truly sticks out to me from that early COVID time as I'm reacquainting myself and diving back in, man, so many, like so many, I'm just trying to think of the ones that really, okay, no, die. listen, listen, I mean, for you now, you're tasting these, you've got to, you know, you've got to, you're, you're writing about them, you're picking up notes, you're getting a nice chunk of whiskey during COVID were a lot of brands sending you stuff to write. About? I start, I started getting sent stuff. You know, I think a lot of people sent me stuff because I was from Bardstown and <laughs> not because I had a lot of bylines to be honest with you. Okay. So I started connecting with people. I started doing some writing on my own, right? I would just like, ah, just for me, just notes for me. And then I eventually connected with, you know, I was doing that for a while and then eventually had the opportunity to start writing about whiskey for some some outlets. And then that really snowballed and coming out of COVID as Barbend had been, as I was a little less busy with Barbend, you know, I wasn't putting in the 90 hour weeks anymore. And I realized I had a little bit of time, started connecting with brands and PR more directly, started going on press trips, started writing more regularly. And it's really just snowballed from there. And then when we sold Barbend in, you know, the Q2 really of 2023, I had some offers from folks and some interest to write for different outlets. Vine Pair was one of them. I knew some folks there. They had, they had been interested in me writing for them for a while. 
And they reached out. They were like, hey, we know you sold your company. Do you have more time? And I was like, well, you know, it's a transition period. I'm still working for the company. But yeah, I have a little more time and bandwidth. And then that's when I was like, okay, you know, I'm really going to go at this and really do this um, in a concerted fashion. And that's also when I started uh, actually doing like tasting panels, did the spring, the spring barley corn awards. You know, it was, it was kind of a slow, gradual build. And then, and then once I was like, cool, you know what, the company I, I built, we sold that time to kind of explore other, other passions. I really decided to double down on this kind of already, I'd call it like a simmering career I had in spirits mm-hmm. writing. And then, and then really just kind of try and throw some fuel on the fire and say yes to more opportunities that, that I'd really been saying no to for a while. Cause I, I felt like I was too busy. I mean, you've really gone after it. You really have. It's pretty fucking cool to watch. I mean, you're in the mix. I think it's just such a great community. I've met so many wonderful people. Everyone's been so welcoming. Like for me, the people are the best part. I love the whiskey, right? Love the whiskey. I've been doing that stuff in other spirits categories as well. Agave spirits, liqueurs, uh, brandy, Amaro. So I, I've been... Uh, rum, I've done a little. I've done a little bit of work, you know, work in, um, and so I've started to do more writing and and work uh, outside of whiskey. Whiskey is still what I know best. It's still where my main passion lies. But the spirits world in general has really embraced me, and I'm incredibly thankful for that. No, I mean, I listen. I geek out on the. I like. I love the stories. Don't get me wrong. I love the people too, but like, I'm so restricted with my time with work and everything. So like, I like to go straight in and find out like, why are you doing this and why did it start? You know, like that's my excitement. I love it. Um, I love it. And, and, and to me, like, you know, I just like you have had access to a lot of cool shit that I sometimes just pinch myself going like, holy shit, that was a good day. Like even now I'm busy, like on Rolex whiskey, I'm just busy, like, you know, what one whiskey per day, the top whiskeys I drank this year. And I'm looking at that. I'm like, if I were to die. On January one, like when I'm done posting the 31, 31 whiskeys, it was a pretty fucking good year of drinking whiskey. <laughs> yeah, you've had some good pours. I feel like you and I have both had some good pours this year. Yeah, and 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 you get that through trust and passion and love. I feel. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I must have paid for a lot of good pours because I want to try. But like, if I look at what I've drank, it's. It's history. I drink, you know, I while I was in Scotland, I, you know, when I was with my buddies from Beaumont, I'm like, hey, bro, we're going to go drink dinosaur juice today. Like, we're going to drink whiskey that, like, nobody gave a shit about, and it's still sitting on a shelf, and nobody still gives a shit about it. But it's from a great, great distillery. And he was like, you're nuts. And I'm like, yeah, what did you find today? And I'd be like, oh, I found this, like, 1969, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, what the hell? And I'm like, oh, it's all sitting here because you guys drink beer. He's like, yeah, that's true. He's like, everywhere I went, they're like, you want to get a pint? I'm like, I don't drink beer. It's, it's, there are so many, I mean, it's all community focused, right? Like I pay for yeah. pours too. I paid a lot of, like, yeah. I spent a lot of money on whiskey. I spent a lot of money yeah. on, on, on things yeah. I want to try, right? Um, I, listen, I, 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 you know, I'll, I'll add it to that. I spent a lot of money on things I just want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> Whether to try it or not, I'm fortunate to go like, hey, if I want something like, it's, I, I love experiences. I just love experiences. I, for me, investing in whiskey, when I buy, not investing in like, I'm not, you know, when I, I say like, you know, buying whiskey, whether it's at a bar, buying a bottle I want, it is investing in experiences because I don't, 
But if it's not for work, if I'm not doing like a virtual tasting competition, or if I'm not doing reviews, that's drinking for work, right? The yeah. other drinking I do, I'm with people 99% of the time. I rarely have a pour just for me to enjoy alone. I'd much rather go out or invite people over or go to be with people who I want to enjoy that with. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, I, you know, I drink, I got three kids, D, so I drink generally about an ounce and a half of whiskey every day. Mm-hmm. And it's three different pours, half an ounce. And it's one while we're having dinner, one when they're in the bath and one when they're done and gone to bed. And it's just to keep my palate, but I like to like, you know, like you, large collection of open bottles. So like today I feel like I'm going to do Japanese, Irish, and scotch. And tomorrow I might just do all sherry caps. And the next day I might do all bourbons. And it's like, I just play with myself, I guess, in that world. But when I go to bars, I always be like, like when I'm hanging out with Mike at Travel Bar, I'm like, I want to just like quarter ounces and I want to try like nine whiskeys tonight. Man, there's no better bar to do that at the travel bar. <laughs> you know? Like, and, and if you're ever in Portland, you go see, you know, Tommy at the Ballard Cut. Like, I go down insane, like, 1950s and 60s rabbit holes because he's just got an insane collection of, like, vintage bourbon and vintage everything. And when I come in, I'm like, hey, dude, like, I'm not getting full pours. I literally just want a quarter ounce of everything. But I'm going to have, like, a dozen whiskeys with dinner tonight. And he's like, let's do it. What what rabbit hole you feel like going down? I'm like, today I'd like to do Bernheim. And next <laughs> week I'd like to do Japanese. And then I want you to like just go all over the place of stuff that you personally are like, holy shit. Because I think if people talk to the bartenders more, they could actually find out what was fun to drink. There are so many esoteric rabbit holes you can go down. It's It's really, the more you learn the more you realize it's almost impossible to get bored. Impossible. And, and not only impossible to brew, but like it's, 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 there's no limit. It just keeps, I mean, you know, I, this meeting that I had, you know, in New York last week, it's like 30, going back 30 years into your backyard and then moving forward to present. Like stuff that was 20 years old bottled in 2005 from your, where you grew up, mm-hmm. you know, and you're like, holy shit. This is wild. So, hey, we've crushed like 44 minutes. I got to get to the most important question and you might have a few moments, but is there a couple of moments that stand out that you are sitting there and you take a sip of whiskey and you kind of just close your eyes and you open your eyes and you're like, wow, cannot fuck it. This is pretty darn cool. Like I never saw this happening. Man, yeah, there there are a few of those. Um, one for one for me was I was at Alberta Distilling Partners. I was at Alberta on a on a press trip actually in two thousand May twenty twenty two. You know, I, I I do like Canadian whiskey. Uh, I know that might be polarizing for some. No. George George Techrobe, who's the general manager up there, he who actually lived for I believe seven years in Kentucky. Right. So he and I had a lot to talk about. He worked with Fred No for, for that time. You know, we go on the, we do this tour and they don't, they're not set up for tours, right? This is like one of the, basically the first time press had ever really been there. We go to one of their warehouses, the scale of which is mind boggling, much bigger than what most people envision a warehouse or a rick house to be. Right. And we have like an oximeter with us to make sure that like we don't pass out. We literally have that with us. <laughs> no way. Jeez. And, you know, we do we do this tasting and they kind of do what the PR folks set up. It was lovely. And then at the end he goes, 
you guys want to try something weird? Almost as if like your friend goes up, comes up to you and says, hey, man, you want to see a dead body? Like it's that same tone of voice. And we were like, yeah, of course. And he pulls out this unlabeled like 200 milliliter bottle. And he's like, this is 23 year corn whiskey. I just pulled it from the cask. And we're like, okay, yeah, let's try some of that. That's great. So he pours us all a little bit. We, we drink it. We're like, Man, it's really good. It's a little strong, but really, really mm-hmm. flavorful. And he's like, yeah, it's 169 proof. <laughs> and I was like, and it's really flavorful, right? And like, it's strong, was, but flavorful. It was so scary drinkable. That's the problem, right? So yeah. that's one that stands out to me. I remember sitting at the Willet Bar at the Bourbon Festival in 2022, September 2022. Uh, my friend Jacob Kuiper, who runs the Coming Whiskey account on Instagram, mm-hmm. he had come over from Owensboro. He had never been to the Bourbon Festival before. You know, I'd been to Bur- the Bourbon Festival starting in the 90s, but he'd never been. He came over. We're with my other friend Mark, who'd come down from New York. We're sitting at the bar at Willet, like Saturday night after the Bourbon Festival. I ordered a pour of a 27 year expression. Barrel number 2874. I looked it up, so I had a 2874. It's a 132.6 proof, 27-year sourced Willet. And I remember taking my first sip of that. And like, I zoned out, right? Like, Jacob was on one side of me. My friend Mark was on the other side. We're all talking. I take a sip of that. And like, for the next five minutes, I don't hear anything. Just like tunnel vision, right? I'm just in this glass of whiskey, right? It's in my hometown with people I love. Man, that that moment really, that moment. Wait, where really, was? I, I sorry. What was the barrel number? Two eight seven four. Okay, so I've had two eight seven two. I'm look. I, while you were talking, I went to go find my list. <laughs> and yeah, that's a special place. It was that it, is that is a a whiskey time capsule sitting at that bar. It it certainly is. And the last one I'll reference. Last one I'll reference was and this was just funny. I just enjoyed this for many reasons. Uh, in March of this year, March of 2023, Fred Minnick came to town. He hosted a little drink up at Travel Bar with some local NYC bourbon enthusiasts. Not like a paid event, you know, not one of his blind tastings or blind bourbons, just like an event for a little bottle. Like, you know, people could come, they could buy some pours, they could bring some, you know, they could, they could share samples, things like that. Just a little bottle share. And someone brought a red breast 27 batch one which i love i love i still i still have a quarter pour that on my butt oh. oh love it love it love. i got one i got a couple i got one or two squirreled away in the bunker you know and someone <laughs> b- brought brought one and it was probably half a bottle or just under half a bottle and they were just like just kill this everyone you know share around kill it and there were so many diehard bourbon drinkers that night who came in and were so skeptical and they were like Irish whiskey who brought Irish whiskey to this bourbon event you know what I mean they were just like scoffing at it and everyone was like that's like no try pour this just try it and the the faces people made every time someone got converted right they would take a sip and they got converted right and they were like oh my god it was seeing that in real time people fall in love with an entirely new spirits category just instantaneously was one of the coolest experiences of my life to see that happen time and time again from this one bottle. I've been in the room with those experiences and just seen a room turn. I love the skeptics. I don't like that. I mean, I, I've done that with Japanese whiskey so many times with people that are like, yeah, you know, sc- mainly Scotch guys and girls. And then I'm like, just try this. And they're like, what the hell? Well, like, yeah, just different, right? Just different. You know, and that's like a Yamazaki 18, 
or I'll flow, you know, every now and again, like, Hibiki 21 can just blow people's minds who are like, I don't drink Japanese whiskey. I'm like, it's blended. It'll be a little bit mellow for you. Uh, whoa. I think that's where guys like you and me and a lot of the community are just so open-minded and fun. Here's the thing. I like most things. I like I like most spirits, right? Like I enjoy them. Obviously, if I'm doing judging, you know, if I'm if I'm scoring, I have to put on a different hat, right? Yes. But I I don't have there are very few things I ha- relatively few things I have. People are like, oh, you must be really picky. No, not really. You know, if if I'm out, there are relatively few things I have where well, I'm like, mm, you know, I I don't know I don't know if you're like me, but like I'm not going out to drink to get hammered. So when no, I'm going to no. drink, I'm I'm drinking a story. Like, yes, I will dry anything and everything and I, and I want to do stuff like, like even, you know, with, with Mike the other day, you know, he's been really turning me onto the guys from Israel, Milk and Honey. And I'm like, this is fucking great whiskey. Oh, it's great whiskey. Love, like, love it. Mike no, turned me on to Milk and Honey. Never, you know, yeah. Yeah. Only I would never like, yeah, never like, you know, that just wouldn't be something I would order. And he actually, like, he opened it behind me. He's like, hey, before you leave, let's just, I want you, I want you to try this, this, the newest one I got. You know, and he's like, you're never going to guess it. So don't even try. I'm like, I'm drinking. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, no, here, milk and honey. I'm like, oh shit, this is good. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think we're fortunate. I think it's great that it's passion. I think it's real. I think that's what I love about connecting with a person like you. It's like, we truly love what we do. There's no like, that's it. We just love what we do. But we love our lives and we get to do it. It's not like there's no agenda. There's no nothing. It's like, hey, I just want to come have fun and learn. If you're open to that, Let's go. If you're not, then it's a whole, you know, all kinds. It's all good. You know, I'll keep moving. That's what it's all about, my friend. That's what it's all about. Dave, do you want to give some shout outs to your social? Sure. Thank you for the opportunity. Instagram. Thank you. Instagram, I'm at David Thomas Tao. That's T-A-O, David Thomas Tao. And then on Twitter, D underscore T-A-O, D underscore Tao. Well, brother, I can't, I mean, we, you know, we keep dodging each other. I mean, I'm, of course I saw you walking the dog and you came in for one second, you know, a couple <laughs> of weeks ago and you are here, but I'm, I'm going to be back in your hood a lot. And if you come out here, please, I love the energy, man. I love what you're doing. I just like, just keep doing it, man. Like with the, the world needs more people like you that are just authentic with nothing else other than like, Hey, I love this. And I like talking about it. It goes both ways, my friend. I appreciate you, what you do. And, and man, I had a ton of fun today. Thanks so much. So, hey, thank you everybody for listening. Please go follow David. Like he just, he's in there. He's in the mix. He's hes cool. He's straightforward. Thanks everybody for listening and we will see you next time. And that's a wrap.